in your corner, saving one investor at a time, working for clients, not companies, all while bully-proofing portfolios, totally committed to sharing academic truths about investing, always representing Main Street and not Wall Street. It's your Sound Money team, and this is the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. Hello and welcome to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm James Borth. And I'm Barry Parnell. And folks, we are an independent investment advisory firm with a fiduciary responsibility to do what's in your best interest. And we're local to the Cincinnati Tri-State area. Now, we're going to work for you as clients, not companies, when you schedule a visit, which is going to be completely complimentary, no matter how many times we have to meet to fully analyze your situation and complete a personalized income plan. And for your convenience, we have multiple locations. Milford's our home office on the east side, Blue Ash, Westchester, and even across the river in Florence, Kentucky. And imagine this, you're going to see one or all three of the guys you make a connection with. You you listen over the weeks, months, and years, and you pick up the phone call. You want to meet with one of the three guys. If you have a 401k, 403b, some kind of company plan out there, we can help you roll that out if you're no longer with the company or even if you are with the company. If you're over 59 and a half, most companies allow you to do what's called an in-service rollover. It's tax neutral. Take control of it. Give us a call at 513-575-9654. Visit our website at brownfinancialadvisors.com and send us an email at team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. James, what's going on today? Well, today's topic is about taxes and retirement, why you should plan for the taxes before you retire, and what to need to know after you retire about the tax situation, the tax landscape. Yes, and it is changing. We are keeping up with the changes, but until those changes are actually put into effect, we'll go with what we have so far. So now think about from the positive standpoint. Typically, when we're thinking about retirement, planning for retirement, most people want to shift their minds and their mindset to the enjoyable aspects of retirement. That means maybe traveling, seeing the the family, the kids, the cruises, Rounds of golf, bowling, berry, yeah, pickleball, maybe some other exciting stuff that they may have ahead of them. These are the things that should excite us about retirement because you've worked what seems like an entire lifetime to finally get to the point where you can retire, whether that's the individual you or the collective you. Now, the planning doesn't just stop there, though. Many times what we see people, especially when they've just reached retirement, And they start start drawing from those nest eggs, like those IRAs. And then they realize the evil aspects of our tax code of how indirectly the withdrawals from their IRAs can impact the taxation of things like their Social Security benefits. So when you also consider the cumulative aspect of not only the federal taxes, the state taxes, and for many places around here, the local taxes, like the school district or even the city taxes, What does that have as far as the impact on their withdrawals from their nest eggs? In other words, most of the time, the the pre-retirees do not spend enough time, at least in our opinions, of understanding the potential impact of what these will have in in retirement. So now that's where the planning comes in, because with proper planning, you could have more money in your pocket, more money in your investment accounts, more money that you get to keep that you don't give to Uncle Sam, states of Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, than what you might otherwise think is possible. And yes, it does seem hard to believe because yes, our tax code can be complex, can be a little bit maybe boring to try to comprehend, 
but it's true. And there are important ways and also different uh, planning, I'd say, methods that you should not overlook. So you should incorporate these planning procedures and methods into the retirement plan. It's like spokes in a wheel. Tax planning is just one of those spokes in that wheel of retirement. So that's today's topic is we're going to talk about taxes on various types of retirement income and also ways to help at least minimize or to mitigate the impact that the taxes have once you do retire. Barry? Yeah, some of the thought-provoking questions that will tie into today's show, like uh, how is Social Security income taxed in retirement? And this is important. James and I just this week yesterday had a conversation with a client who, who made a withdrawal from their IRA, which bumped their income up, and therefore more of their Social Security is taxed. Right. So, so that's an important factor on how that's taxed. Well, sidebar on that one. Our first advice was if you're doing simple home improvements, there are better ways, more cost-effective ways than drawing out of your IRA to make those improvements. But this particular person just was adamant about not going into debt. So he did not want to take out a line of credit from the bank to just simply make some improvements and wound up spending not only the money on the retirement distributions, the taxes on the distributions, but indirectly the Social Security as well. It's like that double whammy of the tax hit that was a very unpleasant surprise. Now, the reverse of that, though, James, is you don't want to be held hostage of not taking distributions just because you don't want to pay a little more. Right. But the point is to be aware of the impact of the taxes before you make that distribution. The goal is at tax time is you want to come close to breaking even with Uncle Sam. You don't want to have the, the, the unwelcome surprise of having a major tax liability when you're expecting to not owe anything at all. Yeah, this client was so tax adverse, he'd, he'd rather live a lower quality of life than actually going on cruises or, or going on vacations because he didn't want to pay Uncle Sam a couple thousand bucks. But anyway, uh, so there's all kinds of aspects that go into it besides just paying taxes. Now, what is threshold income and how does it impact taxes? Uh, what if you have stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs uh, in your portfolio? How are they taxed? IRA versus an IRA, which is called a non-qualified account. How are pensions and annuities taxed upon distribution? How are traditional IRAs and 401ks taxed in retirement? What are some of the potential tax impacts uh, on putting extra money in a 401k or IRA? How do capital gains tax rates work for dividends that I have or that you have in your portfolio? How does taxation work in Roth IRAs? And what are some different ways to help minimize income taxes when you retire? Well, a couple things about this. One is just the terminology. What what the government means when they say tax qualified versus non-tax qualified. Think of tax qualified as being accounts such as your IRAs. And the IRAs, by the way, include the SEP IRA, the simple IRA, traditional IRAs, and also Roth IRAs. A Roth IRA is still, in the eyes of the government, a tax qualified account. Also, if you have employer-sponsored plans, those are also again, in the eyes of the government, based on our tax code, a tax-qualified plan. So that's the 401ks, the 403bs, those types of plans. All those are tax-qualified. What that simply means is that the government has qualifications, restrictions, sometimes sanctions, known as taxes, on if you violate the rules of what they have put into place, of what you can put into your accounts, when you can put monies into your accounts, how much you can take out of your accounts, when you can take monies out of your accounts, Again, without having to pay penalties or taxes on when you take the monies from those accounts. Those are tax qualified accounts. 
The other side of the coin is the non-tax qualified, otherwise known as a non-IRA. So terminology-wise, when we say non-tax qualified or non-qualified, that is the same thing as just simply saying it's a non-IRA account. And yes, those can be a fantastic way of not only saving, investing for your current working years and also for your future retirement years. That means that once you reach retirement, those investment accounts will transition into being retirement accounts. It's just a matter of now you're free to move about the country, free to take monies from your accounts without having to worry about the early distribution penalties that otherwise could apply. Barry, any thoughts on that? No, I think you pretty much covered it. All right. So going back to the topic at hand, which is about taxes, and it does seem like there are certainties in life, taxes being one of them, death maybe being a second one. But no matter which way you want to slice it, we all end up paying taxes at least somewhat during our lives. Now, what is fair? That's that's one of the current topics uh, of the debate is when you hear the rhetoric from Washington that says you must pay your fair share. Well, how about this? Define what is fair and then we will have a conversation about, all right, that's fair. Let's go ahead and pay our fair share. But if you can't tell us what's fair, then that's really unfair. Anyways, I digress. There are amongst when we say the different topics of things to discuss, taxes is right up there with going to see the dentist at times is what I hear. And yes, I do head up our tax division here at Brown Financial Advisors, our Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors company. And that's something that I hear once in a while is people say, you know what? This is about as much fun as going to see the dentist. Now, I don't, I don't take that as an insult necessarily. It's just reality of people don't like paying taxes. And who can blame them? It's more fun to make the money and keep the money than have to pay what is it, 10, 15, 20%, sometimes as high as, what's 40% just on the federal side? Now you factor in the state taxes. In some states, you wind up paying more than 50%. So you're working half the year for the government and then half the year for yourself. How about that? Anyways, there's more. There's much more. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show. With Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station. Opinions expressed are solely those of Brown Financial Advisors and should not be interpreted as specific advice. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified investment advisors prior to implementation. Market-based investments involve risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. Insurance-based investments offer guarantees based upon the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. All insurance, tax, and mortgage services are offered through Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors LLC. Brown Financial Advisors and Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors are affiliated companies and may only transact business in those states in which registered or were otherwise legally permitted. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm James Borth. And I'm Barry Parnell. And folks, we are a registered investment advisory firm. We're independent with a fiduciary responsibility to do what's in your best interest. So when you come in to visit by calling 513-575- Nine six five four. We're going to work for you as clients, not companies. And we're going to meet on as, as many times as necessary on a complimentary basis. Usually it's a couple visits, two or three visits, and then we can decide if we want to do business together. But we'll fully analyze your personal situation and complete a plan for you. Now, remember, we have multiple locations uh, to come closer for you for your convenience. 
Milford, Blue Ash, Westchester, and across the river in Florence, Kentucky. And if you're not very mobile, we have been known to go to your home. We can help you with that 401k, 43b company plan, and we can roll out to a traditional IRA or maybe a Roth, depending on the tax status. It's tax neutral. Uh, we can help you with that. Take control of it. Visit our website at brownfinancialadvisors.com. Send us an email. We'll answer every single one at team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. James, uh, where were we? Well, just a reminder, there are different rules, different tax rules for different types of financial vehicles, otherwise known as financial accounts. So that means that depending upon how you're invested, not only with the tax status of your accounts, but also the investment status of the account. Is it a brokerage account? Is it, for example, is it an annuity? What type of an annuity? What is your age? All those different things have an impact on what your taxes look like, how much you might pay, if there's any additional sanctions or penalties or taxes on when you take the monies out. So that's that's what we're going to go through throughout today's show is the impact of these different things and how it can directly and also indirectly impact your taxes. Barry? That's right. Well, you have to factor in uh, all the different financial vehicles that you might be using, uh, the taxable nature of your income that you're generating, like um, it could be tax at ordinary rate versus capital gain rate versus direct and indirect taxation on bonds and Social Security. And consider uh, some of the methods and strategies on how to help reduce those taxes in retirement. Uh, we think it's a big advantage, James, to have a tax department right here under the same roof so we can help you with that depending on what kind of situation you're in. So a good financial advisor should be able to help you uh, with uh, tax advice. In our case, we have a tax advisor right here under the roof. So you should consider partnering with uh, a company just like us that has uh, both uh, tax, we have Medicare, Social Security, like we have holistically everything in retirement. We think that's important. And you should not neglect the impact of taxes in retirement. Like we like to say, if you have a million dollars in an IRA or 401k that turns into an IRA, you don't really have a million dollars. You might have 800, might have less depending on other sources. So that's what we recommend for you. That's a good reminder. The gross versus the net. You might have a gross figure in your in your account, in your IRA of a million dollars. But after taxes, your net might be 800000 or might be 700000 Depending upon when and what else you have going on, it might even be 600000 So I don't want to scare you too much yeah. with that, but that just is a reminder. It's think of the net, not just simply the gross of what you have in your accounts. Now, transitioning to, yes, people are still living longer today, despite going through COVID this past year, maybe year and a half, what it seems like now. But over a 30-year time frame, Small, sometimes impactful changes that you make today, yes, baby steps, have a snowball effect. It could result in having significantly more money staying in your pocket, in your investment accounts for later. And that also means keep in mind that everyone's situation is at least somewhat unique. So we're encouraging people before you, it's like measure twice and cut once. Don't just simply listen to what we say today and go out and implement these strategies without first consulting a qualified financial advisor or better yet, a qualified financial and tax advisor or someone who has all of that all under the same roof, someone such as us. And good reminder there, Barry. Yes, we do provide tax advice for our clients. That's right. Now let's talk about some uh, tax deferred accounts, traditional 401k, 403bs, IRAs, traditional IRAs, SEPs and simple 
are amongst the most common vehicles used today to save and invest towards retirement. Now, most people love these tax deferred accounts due to all the benefits that come on the front end. Contributions to the plans generally reduce your taxable income, which will save you money on your tax bills in the years you're working and putting money into these. They're great accounts. Love to see them. I know sometime you're going to pay taxes in the future, but if you live long enough. Also, your savings, dividends, investment gains within the accounts continue to grow tax deferred. They definitely are great for saving and getting benefits out of on the front end. But eventually, as I said, you will pay taxes down the line. And later in life, you will have to start taking RMD, required minimum distributions. Now, the new rule as of last year, it's 72. The year you turn 72 by December 31st, you need to take a certain percentage. Usually it's around 4% when you turn 72 of your balance in your all your tax-deferred accounts. Unless you're still working, we'll get into more of that for your 401ks. But So 72 now. So 401ks, 403bs, if you're still working and contributing, you can typically delay your RMDs as long as that condition still exists. Now, distributions from these, these accounts are taxed at ordinary income. So the tax rate you will pay on these traditional accounts will be the same as your ordinary or marginal income tax rate at the time you withdraw these funds. A couple of comments about this. One is about the first year of your R&D, which is age 72. And yes, the rule does still exist that you can defer even that first required distribution until oh, yeah. the first three months of when you turn 73. Caveat. That's, <laughs> that's the plus side or the, you know, one of the things that you could do. But here's a reminder about that. If you do defer or delay that payment until, say, January, February, March of when you're age 73, you then have to take a second distribution sometime before the end of that year. So your choice is really simply this. Take one during your age 72 year and one during your age 73 year or delay and take zero during age 72 and take two of them during age 73. It sometimes works out to your benefit one way versus the other. But guess what? That's a tax discussion to have with your tax advisor, who also should also be your financial advisor. So anyways, back to the distributions from those retirement accounts at work. Yes, if you are still working and just as importantly, still contributing to that particular plan, you do not have a required distribution. Now, there's a little asterisk attached to this depending upon the ownership structure of your company. But by and large, you do not have to take distributions from those 401ks or 403bs until whatever comes first, you quit working or you stop contributing to the plan. Again, the year following when you stop doing that is when you had to take a distribution, known as the RMD, from that particular account. And here's another little fun one. This goes into the aggregation. Aggregation means that if you have multiple different retirement accounts, you can pick on just one of those accounts instead of taking distributions from all five of those accounts. As Barry mentioned, you still have to account for the entire balance of all of your IRAs. That's how the IRS looks at this, is you have one big bucket of an IRA. They don't really care how many different accounts you have. They care about your collective balance. And you must satisfy the required distribution from all of those combined, regardless if you take it from one, two, or all five of those accounts. Or if you have more than five, the same thing applies. That's different if you have 401ks. We've, we've met clients before who, for whatever reason, they have refused to move their old 401ks away from that particular company. Now, as we remind folks, every single week on our radio show, four times during that show, by the way, 
If you're no longer with the company, your money as a rule should not be there either. There's very few exceptions to that rule, but there are some exceptions. So we'll just simply say as a rule, if you're not there, your money shouldn't be there either. That's where you take control of your money and you invest privately. Going back to the 401ks, you must take a distribution from each and every one of those 401ks. You cannot aggregate those accounts. With a 403b, the rules are very slightly different. So depending upon the 403b structure, you may be able to aggregate those. But by and large, those are having the same rules that apply as with the 401k. So with your IRAs, think about your IRAs as being a family of IRAs. That means traditional IRAs, SEP IRAs, simple IRAs are all part of the same family known as the traditional IRAs. Those you can aggregate and pick and choose from which accounts that you're going to take your distributions from. Roth IRAs, if you're the original owner of the Roth, we'll get to about the inherited later on in the show, but Roth IRAs, major exception to this rule, there is no RMD from a Roth. So one of the beautiful things about the Roth is that you do not have a required distribution ever if you're the original owner of the Roth. There's more. There's much more. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm James Borth. And I'm Barry Parnell. And folks, we're a registered investment advisory firm. We're independent. And we have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's in your best interest. So we're going to work for you as clients, not companies. And when you give us a call at 513-575-9654, we're going to meet on a complimentary basis as many times necessary to fully analyze your situation and come up with a plan for you, specifically for you. We have multiple locations. Milford, Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence, Kentucky. Again, we can help you roll out that 401k, 403b. If you're no longer with a company, chances are you probably should roll that out, take control in a traditional IRA, invest it, or, or Roth, depending on tax status, invest it how you want to take control of it. Visit our website at brownfinancialadvisors.com or send us an email. We will answer every single one. Team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. James, where were we? Well, let's talk about the the traditional accounts, the 401ks, the 403bs, the IRAs, and what are the current rules as far as withdrawals from those accounts? And what's what's the what are the pros and what are the cons? What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? So one of the major advantages of putting money into a tax-deferred account, known as a traditional, again, 401k, 403b, et cetera, is that you're typically, when you're working, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket in comparison to when you're in retirement. So that's a game of arbitrage with the tax code. You're putting money in usually at a higher rate of savings. That means that you're currently in a 22% tax bracket, maybe even higher, like 24 into the 30s, perhaps even. And the money that you defer into retirement from your paycheck, you then get that effective rate of tax savings at the federal level. And also you add in the state and sometimes local levels as well. And you have a major tax savings of what you're looking at as far as retirement accounts. So once again, retirement accounts from work, you, based on your current tax rate, and if you're single versus married, it's you know the different tax tables that apply, but that's the major advantage of putting money into those accounts is taking advantage of the current tax rates 
and the savings, at least the potential savings, of having a lower, sometimes much lower, tax rate during your retirement years. At least that's the expectation is that you're going to be in a lower tax rate upon retirement. What we find in many cases, though, is that people are not in a lower tax bracket when they hit retirement because they have to figure out not only to take money out of their nest eggs to sustain their income plans, their income levels of what they need for you know, their mandatory spending habits, but also discretionary. Now, guess what? Every day is a Saturday. So now spending habits change and you start wanting to enjoy retirement. You start wanting to do things that you otherwise could not do because you're working. And so many times what, what we find is that people's spending habits, their spending levels, that means their income levels, they still need to replace the income that they had before they retired. That means they still are taking or drawing income at levels that puts them into the same, if not higher tax bracket than they were during those working years. Even if it's the same income tax level, that means you are somewhat mitigating the impact of putting money away into tax deferral. Plus tax rates could go up. We're looking at that right now, right? Yes, that's that's the expectation of what's the shoe to drop next is what's going to be the impact on the current administration, their their plans for the future of taxes. I can almost guarantee you this, <laughs> it will not be lower. We'll just leave it at that. Now, going back to how some of these unexpected tax consequences can occur, because yes, directly you're paying taxes on ones you take out of these accounts, and then indirectly you're also getting to pay taxes on your Social Security benefits. And you also have to take money out when the IRS, the government, says that you have to. So you, the government will not allow you to keep the retirement funds in those tax-deferred accounts indefinitely. At some point, you have to start taking money out, and that's in the form of the RMDs, required distributions. Now, it also means that if you're going to leave these accounts as like a, you know, to your heirs, to your beneficiaries, it's not the most ideal thing to leave to your surviving spouse or your beneficiary because you're leaving behind a fully taxable account. Now, for non-spouse beneficiaries, first of all, for the spouse beneficiaries, you can do what's called a spousal rollover, and in the eyes of the government, it will be as if it, that account has always been yours. There's many advantages to doing a spousal rollover, but also depending upon the age of the surviving spouse, sometimes you're better off treating it as a non-spouse beneficiary. For example, if the widow or widower is relatively young, then treating it as your own IRA means you're still subject to the age 59 and a half rule of taking what's called premature early distributions from those retirement accounts. That means a 10% early distribution penalty, which can be quite painful. On the other hand, if you do a non-spouse beneficiary account, there is no age restriction. You can't take monies out at any age. That means relatively early compared to retirement age and not have the 10% early distribution penalty. You still will have to pay taxes based on your tax rate, but penalties do not apply for the non-spouse inherited accounts. Something else that's also changed recently is the stretch IRA provision. That means for any IRA that's inherited starting in 2020 and beyond, there is no more keeping the account indefinitely in tax deferral or in the inherited state. That means you now have a 10-year liquidation schedule of emptying the account completely. For some people, that means they're going to take an even distribution amount every single year for 10 years. 
Others, they say, well, you know what? I'm going to pick and choose which you're going to take the monies out. Uncle Sam only cares about this. By the end of the 10th year, that account must be completely emptied out. So that, keep in mind, those are the new rules. If you inherited the account before 2020, guess what? The old rules still apply. That means you still very, very likely have a required distribution from that particular inherited account every single year. So remember this, the dividing line is if you inherited the account before 2020, old rules still apply. After 2020, after January 1st of 2020, that means new rules apply. 10-year schedule applies to you with a few exceptions, such as if you're a minor, maybe a few other things like that. But by and large, the 10-year rule is what applies. Yeah, and the RMDs calculate a little different on inherited IRAs than regular ones. So you have to be on top of that. Penalties still apply. But let's talk about Roth IRA. Roths can be a great tool for investing, especially younger, over long periods of time. For example, I just just yesterday I had a 27-year-old. He's going to open a Roth for 6000 That's the most he can do under 50. And we did an illustration. He's going to retire at 65. So from 27 to 65, about 38 years. If you add in contribution to six k a year, not even allowing for it can be larger later, and seven eight percent growth because he's an aggressive, he's gonna he's gonna have a million and a half at sixty five, and no taxes are due. So it's a beautiful tool to use for a long term advantage. Think of it as like taxing the seeds versus the harvest. There are two important caveats to Roth IRAs. Number one, there's a five year holding period before you can take tax-free withdrawals on the gains. So if you start a Roth, really can't touch the growth for five years, no matter how old you are, or you're going uh, to pay on the gains. Number two, although you can withdraw your cost basis at any time, and James, I don't like to make that real known to younger people because <laughs> they might tap into it. I need a new car or a house or a wedding. So yeah, you can pull, because it's already been taxed, you can pull the principal at any time. You generally must... Be at least 59 and a half, uh, there are exceptions, to be able to withdraw the gains without facing a 10% withdrawal penalty, plus taxes. Also, Roth IRAs have income limits, as I just mentioned. Right now, it's 6000 under 50, 7000 1000 catch up over 50. And that, that usually every, what, four years or so, they, they increase it of 500 bucks. So that'll probably go up. Now, if you're single, head of household, the phase-out range, because if you make too much, you can't legally contribute to a Roth. The phase out on your contributions on your modified adjusted gross income is one hundred twenty-five thousand to one hundred forty, and it completely goes away at one hundred forty. If you're married, filing jointly, the modified adjusted gross income phase out is one hundred ninety-eight to two hundred eight, and we do have clients that that hit that. And uh, if you try to try to get through this by doing it separately, don't try it. Because the phase out is ten thousand. I mean, you're yes. done. Here's a reminder for folks who are close to the income thresholds. Here, wait until later in the tax season before making those contributions to your account, because yeah. it can become complicated if you have to withdraw what's called the excess contributions to your account. That that can get messy with your taxes, especially if it spans different years, different calendar years. So remember this: the tax year is open typically until April the fifteenth. This year, it's open until May 17th, but the typical filing deadline is, is April 15th. That means if you do anything between January and April, you have now the impact that could span different calendar years and different rules apply to that. 
So that that's where it can be complicated and messy. So reminder there is take a wait and see approach if you're near the income thresholds. Our yeah, phone but, the Delphi is very well. Just the backdoor Roth contribution we can do. There's some complications in that yes. too. But actually, anyway. we're going to pick up on the backdoor Roth when we come back okay. from the commercial break. Our phone number five one three five seven five nine six five four. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned to listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on fifty five KRC, the Talk Station. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm James Borth. And I'm Barry Parnell. And folks, we're a registered investment advisory firm. We're independent and we have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's best for you. So we're going to work for you as clients, not companies. When you come in for a visit, completely complimentary, no matter how many times we have to meet, wherever we have to meet, and to complete a plan based on your personal situation. And uh, well, we have multiple locations to come closer for you, Milford is our home office, Blue Ash, Westchester, even across the river in Florence, Kentucky, and we'll come to your home if needed. And we can help you, as always, uh, roll over that company plan, 401k, 403b, TSP, MOUSE. If you're no longer with a company, take control of it. Most of the time, that's that that's a good thing to do. It's not taxed. It's tax neutral. So take control of it. We can help you. Give us a call, 513 visit our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Listen to podcasts of, of previous shows. Send us an email at team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. And before we get into Social Security, James, follow up on a backdoor Roth. So the backdoor Roth kind of works like this. If your income level is too high, you're completely phased out of making a direct contribution to a Roth. The backdoor contribution works like this. You add money to a traditional IRA and your income level, of course, is too high to take a tax deduction for this. So you've made what's called a non-deductible contribution to your traditional account. Then, almost immediately, you convert that account from traditional to Roth. Now, immediately could be within 60 days, could be within 30 days, just whenever you feel like a reasonable time has elapsed before you're doing that, that conversion. The danger of delaying that conversion is you may have a taxable impact where you have either growth in the account or maybe the account's gone the other way. But more likely than not, you've had cost basis that's accrued. And therefore, when you convert, there's taxes to be paid on that conversion. So if you almost immediately take that contribution to the traditional and then you convert to the Roth, there's a zero tax impact. Now, here's the downside of doing that. The, the only way that this really works is if you don't have any appreciable balance in a traditional IRA, because if you do have a large IRA, then you have what's called a pro rata rule that takes effect and has a major impact on the taxes. So pro rata works like this. If your cost basis inside of that traditional account, and that means your direct contributions, let's just say your cost basis is 5%. When you do that conversion to the Roth, that means only 5% of that conversion is tax-free. 95% of that will be taxable. So if you have a 10% cost basis, 90% taxable, 10% tax-free, you get the point. That's the downside of doing the backdoor to the Roth. Now, on to Social Security. This is where sometimes 
yes, drawing benefits out of the program is great, and you want to maximize what you get, not only for the individual you, the collective you, sometimes the family you. That means you have not only spousal benefit options, you have sometimes family benefit planning options that you need to, to take into account. On the other side, when you're starting to draw out the benefits, what does the impact have on your taxes? Well, here's one for you. If it's the children who are drawing benefits, remember this, it is the child who is drawing the benefit. Their benefit is off of your work record, but nevertheless, that only shows up on their tax return if one even needs to be filed. We've seen that once in a while where parents have included that erroneously in their taxes, but it's simply the child's benefit. The child is the one drawing that benefit. The child pays taxes or maybe doesn't pay taxes on that. Now, as far as the spousal benefit planning options, this is where the maximization process really can have a dramatic impact on what the collective unit of the family is drawing out of the program. Yes, remember this, these are your benefits. You are entitled to maximize your benefits. If you don't do that, the benefits simply go back into the program and you don't get what is yours. That's why it's important to plan properly. And yes, we can help with the maximization process. Now, as far as the impact on taxes, this is where the government has effectively raised taxes every single year since 1983 on the Social Security recipients. Here's why. The government has never indexed to inflation the threshold of income of when these, these benefits become taxable. That's crazy, James. If you're, if you're single making over $25,000, and here's where it gets even wetter or worse, the threshold of this income at $25,000 includes half of your Social Security benefit. So that means that your other income may only be $15,000, and you still hit the threshold of taxation. If you're married, filing jointly, that first level of threshold of taxation is at $32,000. That means person number two on your tax return only counts for $7,000, where the first one counted for $25,000. And yes, I am a little bit on the diatribe about our tax code. <laughs> the next threshold is when you get to where 50% of your benefits could be taxable. That means thirty-two dollars to $44,000, dollars to thirty-four, dollars depending upon your filing status, and then up to $44,000. Once you get over 44000 for those filing jointly, 85% of your benefits become taxable. But guess what? There's more. If your filing status is married, filing separately, and yes, we do have some people who want to try to game the system by doing the tax status of married filing separately. Well, guess what? If your threshold income is greater than, wait for it, <laughs> zero, then 85% of your benefits are now taxable. Doesn't work. Period. No sliding scale. 85% taxable. Barry, what's yeah. next? Well, let's talk about pensions, uh, which, James, as we know, is a thing of the past, basically. Pensions in general are funded with pre-tax income, usually funded by the company, which in turn means when you start withdrawing, it's going to be taxed at your ordinary tax rate. Payments uh, from private and government pensions are usually taxable at ordinary tax rate, assuming you made no after-tax contributions to the plan, which is pretty rare. Either way, pensions will not be avoiding taxes when the monies are distributed. Now, there are exceptions, uh, those that paid into their pensions. That's kind of rare. So you have cost bases, and therefore, not all of it will be taxed on the distribution. Now, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and non-IRA accounts, we call them non-qualified. In other words, they don't qualify for any special regulations or uh, tax deferred treatment, 
just pay your fair share every year on realized gains and, and dividends and you're in good shape. Now, some tax rates also apply for qualified dividends. In comparison to ordinary tax rates, capital gain rates are usually favorable. For 2021, a single head of household with taxable income less than $40,401 or married jointly with taxable income of $80,801, your long-term capital gains will be taxed at zero, James. A lot of people don't know that. That's on the federal side, but federal there's side. still t- the state taxes to be paid. Now, the, the that's, that's a reminder, too, about the non-qualified accounts. The government, by the way, incentivizes people via the tax codes to do certain things or not to do certain things. Yes. One of the things that they incentivize people to do is to invest for longer periods of time or longer durations. That means qualified dividends, holding periods must be at least 60 days for things that are sold, the actual capital gains of where you have proceeds from sales, that means the holding period must be at least one year plus one day to qualify for the long-term capital gains. And yes, if you're in a higher tax bracket, whether it's 22, 28, 32, et cetera, and you're only, I say only, taxed at 15% on those long-term capital gains, that's a fantastic savings. If you're in a lower tax bracket, like the 10 or 12% tax bracket, and your federal tax rate is zero, that's even better. So depending upon your tax bracket, your long-term capital gains will almost always be less, including the very highest of the tax brackets. There, your long-term capital gains tax rate is still only, yes, only 20% at that point in time. But compared to 40%, 20% sounds like a great bargain to me. Again, compared to what, right? Now, when it comes to annuities, annuities very similar to pensions and how they're taxed. Generally, these are taxes ordinary income. And they're also taxed on what's called a LIFO basis, which is to say last in, first out. That means all the gains come out first. Therefore, the early parts of your distributions are completely taxable. The exception to this is for when you annuitize a contract, which is spreading out the taxable impact over a certain period of time, usually five years or 10 years. Then you have a proration for the non-qualified accounts of where some of the gains are taxed and some are not. So in other words, When you take your distributions, most of it will be taxable, but some part of it will not be taxable because, again, non-qualified, you're recovering the cost basis in your contract. Barry, any thoughts on ways to help minimize taxes? How about this? Pay off debt, reduce your expenses. Uh, if If you can, that does mean that we should not enjoy retirement. So remember this. An income plan is very important, and that's part of the entire planning process of retirement. So retirement planning incorporates tax planning. It also incorporates income planning. All those need to be budgeted for and planned for accordingly. Barry? All right, folks. Thanks for listening today. We work for you as clients, not companies. And our phone number at Dalfus, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. Hey, check out our podcast at Brown Financial Advisors. Have a great week. And remember this, folks. Sound money where good things are believable, achievable, and true for you.